0: Before we get into this next story, I want to thank Corby, Liam, and Gwen for joining my Patreon this past week. Your support means so much to me, so thank you. For all who'd like to gain access to my bonus episodes as well, head on over to my Patreon page at patreon.com drnosleep. Thanks again, and now time for the story. You're kidding me, right? I asked as Captain Malloy revealed just what exactly we were looking for. The crew gave each other strange looks and let out nervous chuckles. Do I ever joke? he asked back with his usual stern look. He didn't, so the fact that he just claimed to know the location of the lost city of Atlantis could only mean two things. A, he'd lost his mind, and B, he legitimately knew the location of the supposedly mythological city. According to our captain, the city had been rediscovered after an underwater earthquake. How he was the one to come across this information, he wouldn't say, but he promised us all the riches we could ever dream of, as long as we followed him on the mission. So what are we going to do? One of the men asked. We're going to dive down 7,000 feet and confirm what I found. One of my contacts will provide us with the tools we need. I trust a few of you know how to operate diving vessels? He asked. He was right. A good portion of the crew had scoured the depths of the ocean in miniature submarines, but most of us were fresh meat aboard the research vessel we'd since come to call home. Our job had never been more than tracking weather patterns and learning about how storms affected the oceans. While it wasn't the safest job, it beat the crushing pressure of the depths. The submarine is only capable of holding five men, including myself and the helmsman, that leaves three spots for volunteers, Captain Malloy said. The men let out a few questioning mumbles, but none daring to speak up. I didn't know if the captain was telling the truth, but I couldn't deny the unrelenting curiosity his insane statement had built up. So I raised my hand. Ah, Winters, good to have you on board. Are there any other brave souls ready to embark on a journey that might very well make it into the history books? After another minute of nervous mumbling, two other men raised their hands. As fate would have it, the men were Quint and Brennan, two men of a silent nature. They were among the more experienced crewmen, mostly keeping to themselves. Excellent, we'll reach our destination within the next day. We'd already spent a week on the open ocean, albeit under the guise of another regular job. That night, we all gathered together in the small dining hall, whispering about what we would truly find at the bottom of the ocean. According to the legend, Atlantis was a city south of Gibraltar, one that had sunken into the ocean over 10,000 years ago, but we were heading far out into the Indian Ocean, thousands of miles away from its supposed location. Once the first light of day reflected off the waters on our port side, we had finally reached our destination. Just on the horizon, we could see the research vessel we were meeting up with. Due to the secretive nature of our mission, only a skeleton crew could be found aboard. But what it carried surprised me the most. A state-of-the-art submarine meant to traverse the deepest parts of the ocean, unlike anything ever built before. How they had managed to procure such an instrument was a question better left unanswered. Few words were exchanged as we went aboard the unnamed research vessel. We were just shown the way to the submarine where the five of us boarded what was essentially a metal prison. The helmsman name was Dylan Wallace, the only crewman coming from the other ship. Unlike the rest of us, he didn't look suspicious, but rather excited about what might lie at the bottom of the ocean. Gentlemen, prepare for the last job you'll ever need to endure, Captain Benoit said as they shut the door on us. With that, we were lowered into the ocean. The windows were quickly enveloped with water, and the light of the rising sun was turned to mere rays dancing in the shallow depths of the ocean. Accompanying us downwards was little more than a few curious fish, quickly abandoning us as the waters darkened. We were making good speed, a fact only measured by the echo sounder. Truth be told, we might as well have been floating in an endless void, seeing as we didn't have a single landmark to guide our way. Despite our exceptionally strong lights, there was nothing to be seen. How long until we reached the bottom, I asked. About a half an hour, Wallace responded, his eyes still fixed on the equipment. I kept my face pressed against the window, trying to get some sense of our location. There were a few jellyfish and twisted deep sea creatures out in the void. But apart from that, all I could see was darkness. The following 30 minutes felt like an eternity. And I felt as if I had to hold my breath until our helmsman finally announced that we should brace for impact. The landing was rough. That was by design as the vessel was built to resist pretty much any external force. I took another peek outside the window, only to find endless dunes of sand. There's nothing here, I said. We are some distance away from the actual target, not sure how it happened. I suppose the current dragged us away. We kept moving along the ocean floor in search of ruins or any signs of ancient life. Before long, the soft sand gave way to a rocky surface. There were massive, strange holes covering the majority of the surface, each measuring about a dozen feet in diameter and stretching endlessly far into the ground. What are those things? Quint asked, trying not to sound too worried. I haven't the faintest idea, Captain Malloy said back, but I don't think they're natural formations. Ignoring the weird phenomenon, we kept moving. In the distance, we could see a thick pillar that stood out from the ground. Is that? I began. It's Atlantis! Captain Malloy exclaimed in joy. I still couldn't believe it, but as we progressed further, the true magnitude of that pillar came into view. As we passed a cliff, we realized that it was the center of what had once been a massive city. Tons of ruins surrounded the thick structure, which stretched 100 feet up into the air. It shone gently as our light was reflected off it, and that's when we realized it was actually made from a strange looking type of metal, almost untouched by time itself. I can't believe this, Wallace let out. The city, supposedly standing underwater for thousands of years, had yet to be washed away by the tides of time. Though the brick and stone was gone, the metal scaffold remained. At a first glance, none of us could figure out what the material really was, but the fact that nothing had broken it down, not even earthquakes, meant that it was the strongest building material known to man. Still, among the vast city, an eerie presence still lingered. The holes we'd seen on the rocky surface covered the city as well. I wonder what made these holes, Wint said. As we descended down the cliffside into the city, we got a true scope of what had actually happened to Atlantis because the cliff was riddled by exactly the same holes. Our assumptions were simple, that something had dug out the ground beneath the city until the point where the poorest ground could no longer support the structures above, at which point it had sunken into the ocean, killing everyone living there. But above the tragedy stood a wonder hidden for thousands of years, a city extraordinarily well-kept and built up by materials forgotten by mankind. Just a small sample of the material would make us rich beyond our wildest imaginations. We approached the ruins, ready to extract a small sample while taking enough pictures to shred any doubt back on the surface. Wait, did you guys see that? Brennan asked as we tried to remove some of the metal. See what? The captain asked back. There was something in the hole just a second ago, Brennan said. The rest of us gathered at the window, staring into the numerous holes below us, but they were empty. There's nothing there, I said. You sure you... But before I could continue, our vessel shook violently. What the fuck was that? Quint asked. Our helmsman tried to maneuver the submarine away, but something appeared to have latched onto us. We peered out the window to see a gigantic earthworm-like creature emerge from one of the holes, faceless, and covered in long, thin spikes. Each of its appendages appeared to be made from the same metal as the city itself it approached us at a rapid pace. And once it had its body pressed up against the window, one of the spikes shot through the hull, stabbing Brennan through his chest. He let out a short whimper before falling lifeless as he hung on the spike penetrating the wall. The worm pulled away for a moment, appearing to detach from the spike it had attacked us with. Get the hell out of here, Quint yelled. Luckily, the spike seemed to seal the hole it had created, but our luck was short-lived as the worm struck again, shooting three more spikes through, one stabbing Quint through his leg and grazing the captain's arm. In addition, it had partially damaged the engines, making a quick ascent impossible. More worms emerged from the other holes, each one bigger than the last, far larger than our own vessel. As we reached the cliff, another one attacked us, that time hitting Quint through his abdomen and just barely missing my face. Can't this thing go any faster? I begged. Half the engines are dead. This is all the speed we're going to get, Wallace said in panic. We reached the top of the cliff, as another worm latched onto us. While the spikes just barely penetrated the hull, that one didn't let go. Instead, it clung to our metal box as we slowly ascended towards the surface, and on our tail, we had a dozen more. They were all seemingly unaffected by the rapid pressure change, each just following, but not attacking. In a way, they almost seemed to be playing with us. By then, some of the spikes had been torn away, allowing water to pour into the submarine, Luckily, we were high enough up for the pressure not to instantly kill us, but the creature had still latched on. Quint had fallen unconscious from blood loss and was just barely breathing. We all knew he'd be dead long before we made it to shore, and if the creature didn't let go, so would we. But as we breached the surface, we were still partially enveloped by the massive worm. From the outside, we could hear gunshots, with some bullets hitting the creature and some hitting us. Luckily, the hull was strong enough to withstand it, which made the spikes even more menacing. The hail of bullets were just enough to make the creature let go of us. Without hesitation, we opened the hatch and climbed outside. The entire crew of both ships stood in panic on deck, watching about a dozen worms circle around. Some of them immediately pounced at the side, shooting their spikes into the hull, penetrating it with ease. Wallace went back inside to try to get Quint loose, but just as he climbed back down, another worm attacked, shaking us to the ground. The crew on deck quickly lowered a rope, which I grabbed onto, following the captain, but as we did, The submarine was pulled back under with Wallace and Quint still inside, including all the data we'd collected. By then, everyone back on board had realized it was a futile fight. Our accompanying research vessel had already started turning around, but with the creatures latched on, there was little we could do because the hull had been torn to shreds with water pouring in. At a record pace, it had already tipped over, with the crew desperately trying to get out of the water. One by one, they were consumed by the creatures, and we were next. All of you, to the lifeboats, now, the captain ordered as he turned to enter the engine room. What are you going to do? I asked. I'm making sure these things don't follow us back. With that, he ran towards the engines, as the rest of us attempted to use the lifeboats to flee. As we lowered the boats into the ocean, we were picked off, one by one, by the worms below. In the end, we were hanging on the side of the ship, trying our best not to get consumed by the monstrosities we ourselves had awoken. Then we heard a brief bang, followed by a flame that started engulfing the entire ship. The captain had ignited the fuel reserves. Before we could react, the ship exploded, propelling us all into the infested waters below. The last thing I remember before the world faded to darkness was grabbing onto a piece of debris, then nothing. I can't tell you how much time passed, but when I woke up, both ships had long been taken down into the depths of Atlantis. There were no survivors, only myself, floating on an endless ocean on a piece of debris. Three days would pass, until I coincidentally drifted into a shipping lane. But when I told them my story, no one believed a word. Atlantis was a real place, full of hidden discoveries never to be seen again. And if I'm perfectly honest, it's just better that way. Those creatures, whatever they are, need to be left alone until the end of time itself. Thanks for listening. To get notified every time a new episode is released, be sure to click the follow or subscribe button and turn on all notifications.